It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The English philosopher Michael Oakeshott was known as a conservative, but by modern standards, he's anything but. His type of conservatism in essence stands opposed to ideologies, and it remains relevant today, according to Kevin Williams, author, researcher, and until recently senior lecturer at Matter Day Institute of Education. As today's unthinkable guest, Williams argues that Oakeshott's thinking can and should be applied to contemporary debates on politics and education. I started by asking him who was Michael Oakeshott. Michael Oakeshott was an English philosopher whose life spanned most of the 20th century. He died in 1990. His most notable contribution is probably in the area of political philosophy. He's most well known for his work in political philosophy, but he's also done work in philosophy of history, considerable work in philosophy of history, and also like general philosophy on epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, and also um, in philosophy of mind. And indeed, his last major book in political philosophy on human conduct deals a lot with philosophy of mind. That's the kind of relationship between the mind and body, which seems a kind of a strange thing to embed in um, a major text in, in political philosophy. And as a, as a political philosopher, he's known as a conservative. How so? Well, I suppose he's known as a conservative for two reasons. One, he's very anti-theoretical. And I would say that's probably a better description of him rather than um, conservative, because conservative suggests that we say that he was sim- he's sympathetic to, we say, going back to the 1980s, Reagan and Thatcher, and he wasn't s- sympathetic to that ideology one bit, and indeed um, he was invited to become a, a peer, and he refused it because he didn't want to be associated with, with, with Mrs. Thatcher. So, like, his conservatism is more... Um, Anti, anti-theory, and um, it's drawn to more out of a kind of a respect, a respect for what we have, and maintaining what we have, and keeping what we have going, rather than seeking big theories such as, for instance, um, socialism and Marxism. And, uh, and his anti-theory approach, like, how did that affect his broader opinion then of living the moral life or approaching morality. He, he, he's distrustful of absolute principles and maybe being led by a, a sort of principle-guided life and was more put an emphasis on the practice, is that right? Yeah, well, he put, well, that, that might be a little bit unfair to say he was against principles, but he certainly didn't think that it was appropriate that life should, the moral life or civil life should be driven simply by principles. It should be driven primarily um, by the way, the way people live their lives and the way people li- live good lives and you didn't need kind of high theories for that and in fact that's not a, that's not an unusual kind of 
perce perception of the relationship between theory and practice in moral and civil life. Um, I know in Othello, for instance, and I, do, I believe they're doing it for the Leaving Cert now, um, Othello, or is it Iago speaks of prattle without practice. He would have considered a lot of political theorizing and a lot of moral theorizing um, prattle without practice, unrooted in the lives that people actually lived. Did he also have an emphasis that, that um, on, if you like, self-development uh, or if you like looking at oneself with, with the moral eye rather than looking at other people? In a sense, a lot of, a lot of moral theorising is often reflecting other people, whether it's through a, a, a dogmatic or a um, theory or through a, a, an idealism. It's about changing other people perhaps rather than changing yourself. Yeah, I would say yeah. That he would have uh, he would have had, I suppose, something like the spirit that Jesus has in that comment in in the um, Christian um, Bible, where he says, um, "Seek seek first the beam in your own eyes um, before you look for the speck in other people's eyes." So he would have, in that sense, he would have started um, with himself. But he wasn't kind of massively introspective in that sense. And his in, and and in his introspective pieces, in his essays, um, for instance, one of them is famous one is called in, in, "On Being Conservative." And on being conservative seems to suggest, oh, like this is going to be very ideological. It's anything but. What it is about is it, in taking pleasure in the moment, in the present, in the kind of relationships we have and in the, in, and in the life we have. Now, one of my criticisms, I should say, because I can imagine listeners would say, oh, that's, that's all very fine, that if you're a middle class individual like he was and indeed that's true but and that was that has been one of the strands of my criticism is that there, there he didn't have enough sensitivity to how li how life was lived on the margins and on the edges however he was very uneasy about making distinctions between human beings on the basis of what their kind of class background was he describes for instance in a, a, a letter he a handwritten letter to me he sent me about 30 years ago, his school days, where he says the kind of schooling he enjoyed, which would have been, there would have been an emphasis on um, the classics and um, great literature. And he said that even the, the boys and girls who were in his class in the primary school, who went on to become skilled and indeed unskilled manual workers took some of this with them into their lives afterwards and he said it's not something that's just a prerogative of the, of the well-to-do and this is something that he, he emphasizes very much like children and he uses the expression in the, in the poorest the slum of Naples can um, enjoy the same type of the, the same kind of richness as um, people who, people are, who are um, more well-to-do. Maybe explain or elaborate on on his view around education. Um, again, uh, did, did you have a view that education should be conservative in its outlook in terms of, uh, and maybe ha what, might you have a view, for instance, on various kind of trends towards educational reform that there often is, you know, revitalising curriculum and, and so forth? Yeah, no, he probably wouldn't have gone into all that much detail. And one of the reasons he became involved in education is, partly the way I think a lot of us become involved in things, he was invited to. He was invited to give different papers and different lectures which were subsequently published. So um, it, it, it wasn't really at, at his own initiative and these um, essays and papers became quite widely read 
I don't know if you could say they were how influential they were. But he was, a, I suppose, in the 1950s, as he describes the 1950s, um, he, he perceived it as a time when there were theories of progress, where we could kind of start the world from the beginning again. We could start education from the beginning again. And we say bring, now they didn't have this kind of expression, but bring in critical thinking and all these kind of compendium of cliches that are, with which the junior cert do document is complete. We, 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 let, let's start with these um, vague aspirations and woolly aspirations and twaddle rather than from the sort of learning that we have and the sort of um, school subjects that we have. Let's, let's root what we're doing in, in what we have already rather than putting the baby out of the bath water. I don't know whether that led to certain recommendations around how decisions should be made around policy, around, if you like, the trend now, maybe some people talk about evidence-based policy. Is, is that the sort of thing he was, he was getting at, or is it more policy driven by practitioners rather than by um, people uh, dreaming it up uh, away from the reality on the ground? Yeah, I'd say he would have really respected more than anything else the experience and work of teachers on the ground, the experience and work of teachers whom he had himself, the teachers with whom he worked when he worked for a while as a teacher. And he would have said, let's root it in what what they value and what they perceive the young people as value. And I suppose that is evidence in a sense, but it's not evidence in the sense of you know, big empirical studies, which we say in the 1950s and indeed in the 1960s were not common as they are today. What do you think Oakshaw's relevance is today? He was writing at a time when there was a great threat from the, the isms, you know, the communism and socialism, and, and, and the world was in a great state of upheaval. You know, some people argue now we don't have enough idealism. I, I, I don't know, is he, is he a man for this era? Yeah, I think anybody who talks common sense is a, is, is a person for every era. And I think he is in the sense that he says, let's, let's look at what we have and respect what we have and cherish what we have rather than trying to build everything anew via a load of kind of a load of airy fairy theories and um, and the irony about we say the way when people here look at things um, is the way that there's a compendium of beliefs here that drive education that oh we have to retain Irish we have to enhance kind of foreign language capacity we have to make people better at science without pe or we have to um, enhance their abilities at maths that's another very kind of uh, widely accepted view without saying, hey, let's stand back in this. How much maths do, do people actually know, one, to survive, and two, to kind of enjoy the benefits, the enriching benefits of mathematical education? Within the educational field then, obviously there, there's also uh, an emphasis on passing on an ethos or passing on kind of moral teaching. Um, I mean, how do schools go around doing that, or, or, or is that possible to do? looking through, through Oakshot's um, viewpoint. Yeah, well, um, I think it is possible to do both through Oakshot's spectacles or through anybody's spectacles, but um, the way it is communicated to young people is the way it's embodied in their teachers. And I remember years ago I did a study, not a non-philosophical study, on what young people valued in their teachers. And what they valued was a kind of a, a commitment to them and, and, and to their subjects. And um, rather than anything high like saying, oh, we were, we want to retrieve the ideals of no, the, the men and women of 1916. No, no, they, they, it was something much more practical, much more down to earth. 
um, what they have valued in their teachers was the attention they gave to them as individuals and as learners. And I think sometimes we, um, there's a tendency to talk about moral education as if it's a package out there that is something separate from the nitty-gritty of uh, teaching people from day to day. I think back on my own school days, which would I prefer, teachers who came in and gave me ideals about the men of 1916 or teachers who corrected my homework and showed you know, a concern that I became a better, better writer or a better practitioner of mathematics, the second. And I think that's where we want to start the moral life in, 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 in the activity of human beings, not in their high theories. Kevin Williams, thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.